0: Good evening and welcome to episode one of the council, where I stay up to date with all the shenanigans going on at the Boston City Council, so you don't have to. Now, I had no intention on doing this episode as of 20 minutes ago. However, as I started to read excerpts, comments, tweets from what happened during one of the council meetings today, I became angry And rather than tweeting out my anger, I decided to use this small platform that I have to address it. And this hearing was about the two-year pilot program, which would have buses 28, 23, and 29 routes free for two years. Coming at an expected cost of around $8 million. This was the proposal that Michelle Wu tried to get passed over a week ago. Make it two weeks. And through a legislative maneuver, Andrea Campbell blocked it, sending it to this committee for a public hearing on it. Now, I addressed that earlier, and I said that move was done purely out of spite, and could have just been the death of it if Michael Flaherty wanted to. However, they hold this public hearing today, and as of right now, I do not know what the next steps on it is. And I'm going to play you clips of it as I listen. However, just to address that $8 million figure, and I'm really hoping whoever is going to speak on behalf of this program addresses this as well, but that $8 million does not take into account what we save by doing this. I don't know on the top of my head, and I'm hoping to learn how many riders this will benefit, but for every rider that does not have to pay that fare, guess what? That money now stays in their pocket that they will then spend in the economy. When you give people, particularly people who take the bus, free fares, that now allows them to use that money. And we know that for every dollar that someone who is low income saves, they spend it in the economy. Whereas if you give a $1 to someone who's rich, guess what? They're already maxed out. They're already spending as much as they can. That money does not go back into the economy. So the first is that at $8 million does not take into account the economic benefits that we will see by doing this. Second, it does not take into account how much money we'll be saving on healthcare costs. Because as we know, the congestion through traffic releases carbon emissions, which makes it difficult to breathe, and it has a direct cause to asthma levels and other respiratory illnesses. So it also does not take into account how much money we save through healthcare. And those are just the two on the top of my head. And so when you hear that $8 million, which I think is a fantastic deal for this, it still does not take into account all those additional benefits. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pause this. I'm going to now start listening. Whenever I hear something, I'll cue you up and I'll explain why what the person said was either correct or why that person was an idiot. Let's see how we do. Oh, and I'm sorry, one more thing. This $8 million is not even coming from city funds. It is coming from the federal government as part of the COVID relief. And so to start, I'm actually going to play you Vinette Gupta, who is the Director of Planning... Of boston transportation department here in boston city hall and he is speaking on behalf of the wu administration and he is going to talk about these bus routes and why the administration thinks this is so important
1: for giving us an opportunity to describe to you the program that this proposal uh, includes it uh, essentially we want to launch a free fares pilot for routes 23 28 and 29 and I'll go through very quickly where these routes are and then talk about some of the benefits. Uh, These routes form the backbone for bus riders in the Dorchester, Mattapan, and Roxbury neighborhoods and are essential to their livelihood. So for example, Route 28, which is the current pilot, the four-month pilot, goes from Mattapan Square through Grove Hall to Nubian Square and connects with Ruggles. Route 23 starts in Dorchester from from Peabody Square at Ashmont Station and then uses Washington Strait, connects up with Warren Strait through Nubian Square and also to Ruggles. And finally, Route 29 starts at Mattapan Square but goes via Seaver Street and then takes advantage of the recently completed center-running bus lane on Columbus Avenue to connect up with Jackson Square. The reason why we wanted to do a two-year pilot is one, for it to have lasting economic benefits, but also to give us a time frame to do a very detailed evaluation of the program. A majority of the riders on these routes are low income, and free fares will lessen rider financial burden at a time of high economic vulnerability as we recover from the pandemic. Because we have the proposed pilot for two years, this allows families to kind of manage their household budgets and plan for the full two years rather than being restricted to kind of thinking it through month by month. Secondly, while there's high ridership on these routes, these neighborhoods are currently underserved by quality public transportation. Free fares will allow more affordable and better connections for opportunities, whether you're connecting to jobs, to community facilities, or to education. Third, eliminating free fares means all-door boardings at bus stops, which means less time at bus stops and more time savings overall for your trip this improves reliability as well for bus lines. And of course, like I mentioned, the fact that we have uh, center running bus lanes on Columbus Avenue, which is part of this overall network, uh, helps in connectivity and improving uh, bus ridership as well as reliability.
0: I just wanted to pause him there to highlight that point because it was something I didn't even think of, in that if you are no longer charging for fares, you no longer have the bus sitting idle as people are fumbling around trying to get their Charlie cards standing in line in the cold. It will now allow the buses to move a lot quicker. Sorry, that was a great point. Please continue.
1: Those were kind of the main benefits that we wanted to stress. As next steps, we will, uh, once this order is passed, we will meet for the MBTA and uh, figure out the operational and financial logistics uh, we'll be building on the Route 28 uh, experience that we've just had. So that's one That's one step. The second step is really to develop a detailed evaluation framework. We need to do this to make sure that we have enough data before the pilot starts and during the pilot, particularly as the pilot progresses over two years. And finally, we do want to start a marketing campaign, and we will get that going because we want to get the word out in the neighborhoods so riders can... Uh, are aware of the program, can take advantage of it, and plan their lives accordingly.
0: Fantastic. Great job. Also, Michael Flaherty now reads a statement by Lydia Edwards, which basically says that she can't make it today, but she supports the pilot. So in all fairness to her, just wanted to point that out. Michael Flaherty then asks a question back and Casey Brock Wilson, who is the Director of Strategic Partnerships for the City of Boston, addresses how they came to this $8 million figure. It all makes sense. First person to speak, Anissa
2: Sabi-George.
3: Will there also be, as part of this planning over the next two years, um, any exploration on where there could be additional funds to extend this, assuming that it's successful, which I imagine it will be?
0: They then go on to explain that Because this funding is coming out of the COVID relief, we have until December of 2024 to spend it all. So the two-year pilot very well fits within a three-year window. And also, as part of their review, will be to make some recommendations about how to fund this past the pilot. I just want you to hear directly from my niece's question. Again, she, in her phrasing, says that she believes it will be successful. So I'm just trying to give people points where you can get points and then trying to get to... What are their underlying reasons for doing so? Again, Anissa's on her way out. She said it sounds successful, so you also get points. And next up is Kenzie Bach.
3: Thank you so much, Mr. Chairman. Um, and I should say at the start, as I said at the council, that I'm excited about this and definitely um, in favor of passing the appropriation. Um, Vanit, I just wanted to ask, How can you um, refresh me on how do we count ridership given the fact that people aren't swiping charlie cards or, or tickets like how, how does that get done on a free pilot
1: the buses actually have automatic passenger counting machines with the, with the beam so they're actually counting people by getting into the bus and that's how we get fairly uh i wouldn't say you know dead accurate but very good data on the boardings
0: so that was a great question i was kind of curious about that myself and now we know the answer And so Kenzie also to start her questioning is saying that she is very much in favor of this initiative. Ding, ding, ding. You get points.
3: Got it. And am I right in understanding? um, I know there was an issue, a question about whether we overpaid, et cetera, for the 28, the initial pilot. Am I right in understanding that our, like the way that we structured this with the T with that pilot and the way we would structure this going forward is such that we're actually only paying for actual ridership. We're not paying for prospective estimated ridership. Is that right?
1: Correct. So we are paying for actual passenger counts uh, based on a formula that we've developed with the MBDA for the Route 28. So it's, it's not estimations, it's actuals. All
0: right, another great pertinent question. Good job. Kenzie goes on to ask if we'll be tracking the time from what we discussed previously. The buses will be able to move faster. Are we tracking that? And Vinette goes into how, yes, we will be doing that. And they already are for the fare-free pilot program. And he doesn't give any numbers, but says it is very substantially faster, especially when you consider now people can use all the doors because you don't have to come to the front to have that sort of monitoring. Kenzie goes on to ask a number of other questions. Again, all of them fair. Next up is Julia Mejia. And she asked kind of four questions right in a row. And let's listen.
3: for a
0: couple questions.
4: Yeah, thank you. Um, Just continuing off of Counselor Bach's question, um, can you tell us specifically how we're spreading the word, particularly in languages other than English, that this service is now available I'd like to know where the flyers have been posted. I also would like to know what languages were provided. And has anyone from the administration um, participated in any of the the community meetings in the neighborhoods and how many people attended those meetings? I'm also curious to know in what ways are we soliciting feedback from bus riders on these routes? And then my last question is, if we do plan to continue making these routes free, how are we thinking about the long-term affordability of the neighborhood um, with the service that may be um, very attractive to developers looking to build luxury units um, close to a free transit system. I'm just, that, that question is really looking at, you know, the long term here and the impact um, that we have when we see free tra- transit just in general, it just rents go up. So I'm just curious, like, how are we grappling with that?
0: Woo! Okay. So let's address the ending part first, which is the relationship between public transportation and housing, because there is a very real concern that areas that are going to have major capital investments when it comes to public transportation become a lot more desirable for developers. This is a phenomenon that We see time and time again, which is why all of these issues are interrelated, and you need to have very strong tenant protections, very strong zoning regulations, which stop luxury developments from occurring in areas of increased public transportation. That's the first. Now, I find it very hard to believe that one, we have a lot of evidence as Julia suggests, that having free public transportation leads to increased rents. We just simply haven't had enough free public transportation anywhere to actually equate those two. And as I said before, all of this will have to be partnered with increased tenant protections and zoning policies. I also am very hesitant to say that People who are going to be renting luxury apartments take the bus at all. And so I am temporarily going to give the benefit of the doubt that this is not just a scare tactic to keep low-income people from supporting an initiative that will materially benefit them out of fears of some omniscient larger threat on the horizon. Again, I'm going to give Julia that Bit of credit right now. Also, I'm going to be cutting around what people say, not in a disingenuous way, but just to get to more of the substance. So let's hear Vinette answer some of these questions.
1: Talk at some length on what we did for marketing for the 28th back in August and September when we, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we did. Uh, Flyers, uh, been, uh I can't remember exactly, but I can let you know in several languages uh, throughout the neighborhoods. We had uh, 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 ads on those panels that you see in the bus over the seats. Uh, we did the uh, social media campaign. Uh, we spread the word out to community groups that are along the Route 28 corridor. To your other point, Councilor we have also been doing in-person surveys for the 28th. So we did a bunch of surveys before the pilot was launched, where we got a sense of the perception that people had about their bus ride. And we are now uh, currently doing, or will be doing very quickly, uh, surveys of uh, uh, during the pilot to see if perceptions about uh, the quality of bus service uh, has, uh, has changed. That's like somebody in And did you want to buy uh, The only thing I wanted to add is I just looked up the, the
3: languages, uh, Counselor Mejia, that you asked for. And then for the 28 pilot, we worked in um, Spanish, Haitian Creole, Chinese, Vietnamese, um, Cape Verdean Creole, and Somali.
0: All right, fantastic. I think I would recommend adding canvassing to that. But if you're talking to all the community groups around the lines, social media, advertising on the bus itself, hoping word of mouth spreads. I think those are all great. Again, maybe it's just my old electoral impulses, but I think some door-to-door canvassing in the areas along the bus lines would be great too. Julia now asks again for them to address that ending part about long-term affordability, and let's hear how they respond.
1: About that, uh, for low-income families, transportation costs are a higher percentage of their overall household budget compared to families that are better off. And so we think that in the longer run, uh, families who take advantage of free fares on these routes will have more expendable household incomes for other essential needs that they may have. That's our kind of general Uh, approach. I will say that uh, we have engaged, we're working hand in hand with the BPDA and they will be doing an economic analysis uh, of the impacts and benefits of free fares on these three routes. And so that will be part of the journey that we will have.
0: Okay. And that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on because we should not trust the BPDA for a moment. And whatever firm they hire to do this analysis, that is what we have to end up flagging and addressing. Because you can hire a firm that can tell you really whatever dollar amount you want. Is this gonna help us? You can hire firms for that. Is this gonna hurt us? You can hire firms for that. And again, especially for any major changes to public transportation, we know that there is a link between that and new development, but as he addressed, this is in the economic interests of these people. Julia then asks about community meetings and then tries to get some figures for that.
1: So as I just mentioned, for we did have a outreach process for the Rock 28. Uh, of course, it was during COVID, so we were not holding in-person meetings. Uh, we were uh, participating in, uh, in meetings being held by community groups, wherever uh, to get the word out, we were uh, doing extensive flyering and advertising uh, to get the word out and get some feedback. I think the surveys were a good, what we really want to do is get in touch with the people who actually ride the bus. Those are the most important people to, uh, to get community feedback from.
0: Also, I just want to pause and take the opportunity to apologize. I believe I've been mispronouncing Vinning Gupta's name. I just listened to three different interviews to try to get down that correct pronunciation. So I just want to apologize for almost certainly mispronouncing Vinay Gupta's name previously. Also, I just hopefully fixed the audio so there's not a big sound difference between myself and the recording. Editor's notes, apologize. Venmo me more money and I'll upgrade my tech. And I just wanted to highlight as part of his answer how he stressed the surveys of the people who were using the previous pilot and that they are currently contabulating that data because speaking directly to the people on the bus, hey, did you like having a free bus ride today? Yes or no, is going to give us very direct data for what do the people who actually ride the bus want. So I look forward to using that study in the future to defend free public transportation. And next up is Matt O'Malley.
2: Thank you, Mr. Chair, um, and good morning, uh, colleagues. It's great to see so many people. I, I will be brief. Uh, Casey, Vinit, thank you for your great work on this. I am a uh, full and enthusiastic supporter. I look forward to voting in favor, hopefully, this Wednesday. That's uh, so I'll be sent to the Chair. Um, like many district colleagues, particularly, I can think of a number of added routes that would be welcome additions, but um, we have to start somewhere, and it makes sense, I think, to start with these lines that have been identified, and much like, you know, Vinit, I've been here long enough to remember when we started with blue bikes, we had to, everyone clamored for them and we had to start and then expand. So I do look forward to the expansion and and we'll obviously support this and hope uh, it will continue.
0: All right. That's Matt O'Malley. He goes on to ask a question about scaling up, but okay. He gets points. Thank you. I still am looking forward to see if I am proven right that his next job will be at a private company in some capacity maybe lobbying for them, maybe working directly for them, that is focused on green energy. Let's see. And next up is Ed Flint. And honestly, he just asked a question, basically saying that the district that he represents has the largest amount of people who live in public housing. They are not on these busing routes. What are we doing to increase public transportation for those individuals? And Vineet quickly explains that we'll have to do more targeted subsidies for those areas. Again, it's not really pertinent to the main focus of this agenda, we'll call it. And next up is Frank Baker.
2: Everybody's calling this calling this free. It's, it's not free. This is a bill that's going to chase us forever. So my question is, in two years when the APA money's gone, and we're talking about expanding this program... There, there will be a line item in the city of Boston budget that that pays for and again pays for. that's us. That's my tax call, tax dollars. It's people that are paying taxes. There will be a line item in this in two years. Does anybody have a, anybody else other than me have a problem with this? We're looking at eight million dollars now. So in two years, we're talking about for two lines, we're going to be talking about $6 million each because it will go up probably $2 million each. That's a line item in the city of Boston budget. Can anyone answer that question? <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, all right, I paused him. <laughs> I love how he's just yelling. Like, he didn't really ask a question. I think the question he tried to ask was, will this be a line item in two years? which obviously that is not up to the need. (laughs) That's up to if a city councilor or more specifically, the mayor wants it in the budget. (laughs) Also, I love how he just, he's putting together numbers about costs and all this after they explained that again, one parts of these costs is to fund a study about them. Parts of this cost is a massive public outreach campaign. It's not like a linear, how much this costs. And if, It is successful. That is why it'll grow, which means it's a positive thing, which should receive funding. Finally, it is possible this starts to become funding that we receive through the federal government or through the state. Not necessarily from the city of Boston. Again, we're talking about the future. But the two things that he is really getting at, which is why he is so angry, is one, when he continues to reference taxpayers, because in his mind, taxpayers drive cars. And they won't use public transportation. So why are the taxpayers the ones who are funding for these poor people to ride the bus? Again, I don't think I need to explain to this audience why that's idiotic thinking. And second, he knows that if you provide something that benefits people for years, they're going to expect it. They're going to want it. And he is afraid that if we continue, and he is not the only one, trust me, that if we actually start making people's lives better, they will expect that from us in the future, and that is a major concern for people who like things exactly the way they are. But yeah, back to you, Frank.
2: So we're just going right into this. This is all great. Twelve million in in, in three years, probably. Casey, are you from the are you from the budget office? Yeah, I'm here representing ANF today.
3: Um, I think that's you know we there are budget constraints that we need to take into consideration in the future. And that's something we're well aware of. I think we all want a sustainable funding source. Um, and that's why it's going to take additional partners beyond the city to find a sustainable funding source. So I think that's, you know, that is part of the reason we're doing a two year pilot is to have those conversations. Um, so we can get to a place in two years where yeah, it's a team effort to get this done. Um, so, you know that's where we are at this point. I don't think we have a clear answer or a commitment, or you know, either so if, so way, at this point team, in time.
2: So if we don't have a team. It's a it's a it's a budget. It's a line in the city of Boston budget, which will probably be more than six million, be close to ten million. I I just I need that answer. You know what what what's it looking like? And all great, everybody's patting each other on the back. You know that's well and good. Red line's not on it. We got three bus lines. So what about every everybody else? I I just don't. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm happy for it. I'm glad we're, we're providing a service. But in two years, it does not end. Where is the money coming yeah, from? Yeah,
0: yeah, I'll, I'll answer that. I'll answer that, counselor. Yeah, quiet. I, I can mute you. Very simple. If the Boston City Council, two years from now, decides that this was a successful program, they are the ones who will answer that question. If you are projecting, you are saying that you know that this is going to be successful, that you know that people are going to want this in the future because you are already trying to figure out the math two years from now to try to find the money in the budget. Fantastic. It's It's been a success in your mind. That is a good thing. That is a positive. And this is an issue that you get to deal with as a representative in two years. I'm here as a podcaster, I won't take over for Casey, to explain to you that, yes you might have to do your job in two years from now i'm sorry god that guy all right let's hear now from andrea campbell
2: thank you council baker, my colleagues recognize- should really have an issue with this here somebody else should thank you thank you council baker chair recognizes <laughs> council andrea campbell
3: thank you council Flaherty, and 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 Thank you to Councillor Baker, at least asking a question about the resources. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be on the council next year, but I do think, you know, I consider myself a very reasonable person. And I was really surprised that the council was going to consider suspending and passing this without at least one hearing. I can't stress how important it is not only to ask a question about the resources, these are COVID dollars once in a lifetime. Are resources that the city will get. I think the public, I think counselors, I think everyone ha- should have an opportunity to weigh in on that, to ask questions, um, and most importantly, not only ask questions about the money and sustainability of an initiative, but weigh in if they are going to be participating or uh, excluded in some way. They should have a, a place and space for their voices to be heard. So I would encourage my council colleagues going forward, especially the COVID committee ways and needs, um, to not just, I think, suspend and pass $8 million COVID requests Even if we all agree the idea is a good one, um, I just, I can't stress that enough, particularly when it comes to COVID dollars. So I appreciate you, Council Flaherty and central staff, for scheduling this hearing really quickly.
0: Okay, I, I paused it there. She then goes on to ask some pretty basic questions about the initial pilot program. But let's not forget, she began by thanking Frank Baker for his comments. You can rewind in the podcast to listen to him. She began by thanking Frank Baker and expressing shock that the city council would actually move quickly to provide material benefits to people. That surprised her. I said it, I think, in the intro, that her move was one purely out of spite, that any delay in providing material benefits to the most vulnerable members of our society should be met with nothing but disgust and scorn that they want more committees, more hearings, as a delaying tactic, period. There are people who do not want this. There are people who, if it does pass, they want the credit for it. All right, well, that's all I got for her. Let's see who's up next. All right, so it seems there's no one new. However, Julia here comes back on stack to ask a question that I want to address. So let's hear her question.
4: Uh, just the overall financial impact of this uh, on the city. And I'm just curious in terms of just plan A and plan B, was there any thought given to maybe in, instead of just free buses, perhaps maybe subsidizing and, and, and providing um, subsidies to folks in BHA on housing, like to be more strategic and targeted in terms of the who? Um, is able to uh, take advantage of free transit instead of just regulating it to these bus routes. Like, was there any thought given to if the whole idea, right? This is COVID relief. This is really about um, reaching our most vulnerable. Um, are, are we doing that in, in this in this in this case? And I'm just curious about the thought process that went into it. I'm just. I mean, it's it's real. The fact of the matter is, is that, as Councilor Flynn mentioned, you know, we have a lot of housing development and folks who, who are um, living in extreme poverty. Um, and I'm so I'm just curious in terms of just kind of what the thought process was. if Just picking these bus lines just made more sense, or are we thinking about long term if this is really about uh, providing support to our most vulnerable? low-income residents, why not look at that $8 million and uh, be a little bit more targeted to uh, spreading that pie, as Councilor Baker talked about, so that we're reaching more people.
0: Okay, we now have Julia Mejia echoing Frank Baker's concerns. Incredibly disappointing. And I am definitely going to record what their response to this is because it's a very easy one. Any means-tested program that you create is actually going to miss the most vulnerable members of the population. The idea of just going off of the registry file for people that we know are in some version of subsidized housing is going to miss thousands upon thousands of people that we really just don't have the data on who needs it, on where they are and where they're living. We don't even have any sort of a registry of units, of who is living where. And so every additional step of bureaucracy that you create, you are going to be losing percentages of people, and those are the percentages that are the most at risk. This is why we have an unemployment method that has 27 steps to it. I think I spoke about it this morning, that we design programs to have such complex bureaucracy so that it almost becomes impossible to obtain it. That is why you do it directly free at the point of service. We don't care who you are, you don't need any ID, get on the bus. That is how you do it quickly, effectively, and will actually hit the people who are the most at risk. Please, let's see how they answer this question.
1: Uh, uh, Absolutely, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the current selection of routes is based on agents of the city that have been hardest hit by the pandemic, uh, that that are uh, low-income, are neighborhoods of people of color. And so these have been the neighborhoods that have had the the most impact. And so that was some of the reasoning behind uh, negative impacts of the pandemic. And that was some of the reasoning behind the selection of those routes. Uh, There are targeted subsidy programs that currently exist that we can look into expanding, as uh, has been mentioned by other counselors uh, in this hearing. So uh, currently, the high school students and uh, older populations in the city uh, get subsidies. Uh, uh, People with disabilities get subsidies. Uh, So we want to be able to uh, look into expanding how we can target other disadvantaged populations in the city to benefit from uh, less impact on their household budget for transportation.
4: Right. So I guess my question is that sometimes we have people who are coming in from Milton in other parts, you know, other parts of the.
0: All right. Hold on. I'm going to pause that there because we're definitely going to hear that question too. Again, he didn't hit it the way I would have, but I do political messaging. He actually knows how to run a transportation network. So now let's hear Julia's next question.
4: Commonwealth that are riding our buses as well. And so I'm just curious about, you know, if if it's targeting the people who live here or just, you know, there, there might be some folks who, who are taking advantage of this who don't really need it. So just from a cost effective standpoint, how are we dealing with that?
0: All right. So this was the comment that actually had me do this episode. And I'm going to bring up the person who tweeted it, because if I did not see this, I probably just would have read what happens tomorrow. Maybe if I saw the headline then, I would have gone angry enough to go through it. But this is is from the Boston LOL, at the Boston LOL on Twitter. This is this person's response. Julia. This is literally the point of removing barriers like fair payment on buses. You want more people riding the bus and not driving through the city with the worst traffic congestion in the country. Imagine a Boston where buses are hashtag fast, frequent, and free. For Julia to be entering the box of we want services just for the taxpayers, we want services just going to the people who live here, is one, going to leave out the most vulnerable members who do live here, but two, is completely against the idea of why you want to increase public transportation. We want everyone to take the buses. That is why we are making it free, convenient. We don't want people driving through the city. Get on the bus. It's free. I I don't know who she is talking to on this but let's hear Vanessa's response.
1: This is a program that we are continuing to analyze. Uh, We have good data from the Route 28 uh, pilot, and it's currently focused on routes that are wholly within the city of Boston. Uh, The three routes are all start and uh, kind of connect two points uh, within the city. So we know in that sense, they are serving only our residents and uh, I'm sorry, Vinita. I mean, I know that there are people who drive um,
4: their cars from Milton and Park in Mattapan, and then jump on our free transit. So I, I do know that that happens, and so you know, again, I don't, I don't want to like keep harping on this, but I do think that as we continue to explore and evaluate and and, and see what works and what doesn't, I think that's just something that we're going to need to keep on our radar um, because this is supposed to be for Boston residents. There needs to be some guardrails put in place um, that this is this no, 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 is no, no, no.
0: No, 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 no. Guardrails are going to keep people off of it. It is going to keep people who live here. If somebody wants to drive their vehicle, get a parking spot and then hop on the bus, do that. Guess what we should be doing? We should be expanding the bus line that goes directly to that area. We should be expanding the bus lines. No guardrails. This is how you kill programs. This is how you lead to more pollution. My God. Boston
4: residents, right? Not folks who are just jumping on our, on our tee here. And I I do think that as we continue to move along these conversations around free transit, that we're going to have to really think about uh, the who, the how, and how much, Um, because this is, this is something that, you know, when I think about everything that's happening in the city of Boston, you know, there's violence, you know, there's trauma, there's our education system, there's a lot of issues that are impacting low-income communities. And so I just think it's really important for us to be super mindful of how we're spending these dollars.
0: Wow, can't tell you how disappointing this is. So that's basically the highlights that you need. I think this is still on the docket to be voted for this Wednesday. I'm not a whip. I'm pretty confident this has the votes to pass. But I mean, we're hearing the right wing talking points from Andrea, who'll be gone. Julia will still very much be on the council. Banker still on the council. And so I hope you all found this helpful. Again, did not plan on doing this today. I can't believe I actually just sat through that. But we know what the fight is ahead, so I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm calling it the council until someone gives me a great name. If you would like to support this program and the other different things I do, my Venmo is in my link tree. You do want to just give me a like or a retweet. I appreciate that as well. And so with that, take care, and have a great rest of your evening.